You are listening to a second piece, the voice of your future doctors. Hey, what's up? It's Habib. You're tuning into episode three of A Second Opinion. I had a wonderful guest in the studio for this episode, future doctor Christine Shalaka. She's founder and president of Rising Up Strong, a group that focuses on teaching health and wellness to youth with intellectual and developmental disabilities in the Columbus City School District. And I mean, on this episode, we talked about everything from her background in gender and women's studies to stigmas facing individuals with disabilities, all of it. And overall, I had a lot of fun. Christine is hilarious, but also incredibly engaging. Um, and, you know, well, why don't you find out the rest for yourself by tuning into the rest of this episode? So roll that clip. Hello, hello. Uh, welcome back to another wonderful episode of A Second Opinion, the voice of your future doctors. This is your very handsome and um, <laughs> joyous, confident host, uh, Mr. Habib Suwara, um, coming to you. And we have another wonderful guest in the building. Um, and I know you guys can't see uh, uh, her right now, but she's basically a walking ray of sunshine anytime oh, you do Lord. see her. Um, <laughs> like, I, I've never just not found joy interacting with her, um, and I'm sure you guys will feel the same um, once we launch this episode and fully get into the interview. This is uh, Miss Christine Shalaka. Hello, hello. How hello. are you? I am well. It, it is Shalaka, right? Or is it You're Chalaka? Correct. It's Chalaka. Ch- it's Chalaka. Oh, wow. <laughs> Exposed again. Shalaka. Yeah. Okay, Christine Shalaka. Cool, cool. Welcome, welcome. How's it feel to be here? Um, feels great. Okay, Blessing. Um, I'm I'm honored that you thought I was interesting enough <laughs> to have a conversation with. So no, for sure, for sure. Like I think we talked about this a couple of months ago, yeah, actually. Yeah. Right. So um, I'm glad we finally had the time to sit down and get into the studio. And I was like, he hasn't changed his mind yet. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So for the people out there listening, um, could you tell us? A little bit more about yourself. Who is Christine Chilaka? Um, Well, I am a daughter to uh, Nigerian immigrants, um, and I am one of five. Okay. I am Igbo. Okay, we won't uh, won't, won't say new today. I'm joking. I'm completely joking. I'm completely joking. Um, And uh, originally from California, California girl, up and down the coast. I went to school in Northern California at UC Berkeley. And um, and my hometowns, hometowns mm-hmm. are in Southern California, um, born in Pasadena, Los Angeles area, and just kind of kept moving towards the desert further and further as I got older. Okay. Um, and I uh, love women's health, women's life, <laughs> women's everything women, yeah. um, major, majored in gender and women's studies, in undergrad and um, did a thesis on assessing the reproductive care among women with intellectual disabilities. Wow. Um, that sounds very powerful. Yeah, it was It was interesting how much you wouldn't find. Oh, my. Um, it was a lit review and there was absolutely nothing. Interesting. Um, so that's that's fun. Okay. And um, yeah, I, I love to 
watch Netflix and exercise and breathe and just kind of relax and mm-hmm. stay peaceful. Yeah, no, <laughs> you, you definitely need that in med school. Like, yeah. Peace, peace is what you're going to get they you to do. take it from you. I mean, literally. <laughs> literally. Um, no, that's great. That's great. So how did you end up deciding to come to Columbus? Um, so I came here via the MedPath program, which is a pre-entry post-bac program um, that gives you a conditional acceptance um, into OSU, the College of Medicine. I also had some interviews at some other states uh, just for medical school. Um, but when I had the interview for the MedPath program, I honestly felt like God was like, this is where you're going. Um, I remember immediately after I finished all the interviews, I called my sister, and I was like, I think I'm going to OSU. <laughs> like, I just felt it, and I knew that God was like, this was the next step for you. Um, and also, um, ironically, they have a place here called the Nysonger Center, which um, mm-hmm. is an institute in partner with the Wexner Medical Center that focuses on, like, disability, developmental disability care. Um, and it's, that's what it's completely devoted to. And I have a strong passion for like intellectual and developmental disability. Mm-hmm. And um, when I wrote my senior thesis, I actually cited a program that was done at the Nysonga Center called Women Be Healthy. And um, wow. I thought it was fate. Like I was wow, like, what? Yeah. This is what I'm supposed <laughs> to be. And so everything just kind of fell into place. God was like, this is your next your next chapter. Okay. So I listened. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, I mean, you basically changed coast um, to pursue this. So, like, it must be, like, really important to you. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm curious, um, like, how do you think majoring in gender and women's studies, correct? Yeah. How do you think that shaped your perspective once you left college and moving forward now that you are, you know, in the medical profession uh, moving forward? Um, I mean, I, I guess it kind of showed me that we definitely do live in, like, a patriarchal society. Mm. And a lot of the norms do kind of steer towards that. Even just, like, the language that I hear in medical school, the just normalizing very, like, male-dominant terms. Like, the default being, hey, guys. You know, it's just, like, you get used. Everyone's kind of used to that mm. when you see, like, and not in textbooks. When we learn about studies, it's typically men that are the subjects. It's typically... Um, you know, just like when we see things, that men are the default. And so mm-hmm. um, I did have a period of kind of like regression once I got into medical school because I came from Berkeley, which was like super radical and like very open and, and really about like gender nonconforming and just mm-hmm. very like, you know, what we're going to discuss it and, and yeah, face yeah. it head on. Yeah. Um, and while OSU is definitely like a more liberal place, Columbus is mm-hmm. liberal in comparison to yeah, a large yeah. uh, part of Ohio. Um, I felt like medicine itself here was just a little bit less um, hmm. radical than I, I got it. used to. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah. and I felt myself kind of falling back into these normative terms that I tried to break mm-hmm. just to kind of assimilate and fit in. And okay. I didn't want to stand out. I didn't want to be the, you know, what do they call it, politically correct patty that's like, oh hey, my guys, gosh. <laughs> you know, and so I was like, <laughs> Uh, and I, I mean, it did teach me a lesson of like knowing when it's appropriate to call attention to things, knowing mm-hmm. when it's like, um, is this really a teaching moment? And so um, there's a positive and a negative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um, not that I don't not that it makes it right. I don't think it's right at all. Actually, um, I think it's unfortunate. Actually, like I grew up in the South, and it's a very similar sentiment that like 
there are certain things you can and cannot say, even if you're right, like even if you are on the side of justice and yeah. equality, that just because of social norms different in ge different geographical regions that like you get repercussions. You yeah. get repercussions. Yeah. You know? And like as a medical student, you're in like a weird spot. Right. You can't be, you know, talking to a resident. Or yeah, we're on the we're at the bottom of the totem yeah. pole. The bottom. <laughs> yeah. So you pick and choose. Like there's some things that are just kind of crazy that you're like, you yeah. know what, I'm gonna report this. <laughs> Um, but learning how to do it, like what avenues do you mm -hmm. take? Like, do you address it head on? Probably not, but reporting it to the appropriate people to handle it. Okay. You know? No, that's fair. That's fair. Like, wow. I, I'm, I'm impressed, honestly. Like I, I am really like in awe of like the perspective that you have because of that. And that's why I asked the question because yeah. I feel like having just a more socially minded and more progressive moving ideas on identity and society. I think yeah. it's just like what we need more in medicine. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really I cool. Agree. That's really cool. All right. So you mentioned a strong interest in um, working with people with disabilities. Yeah. And uh, there's this organization that you run, <laughs> um, if I am correct, um, called Rising Up Strong. Correct um, Could you explain to us what that program is? Um, so Rising Up Strong is an organization that I started last year. Um, it kind of took a year to just get off of its, I don't know, knees and like start standing. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically I am what you call a sib. And so basically I have a younger sister that has an intellectual and developmental disability. She has autism. And um, just kind of watching her grow, I always had questions about kind of what was the difference between me and her and, and growing and, and what lessons were we taught, what lessons was she taught, what was she not given opportunities for, um, and just other like milestones in life. Um, how was she dealing with like menstrual periods and, and hormone changes? Like how was she responding to that? And as um, family slash caretakers, because when you do have someone in your family that has a disability, you're also their caretaker as well as, you take on many hats. Um, but as her caretakers, like how were we responding to her responses to hormonal changes, menstrual changes, just puberty in general? Um, and so that, and then um, growing up in church, I was part of a, a group called Extended Hands that was for children with um, developmental and intellectual disabilities at my church, and so I volunteered with that. Like I said, I did my um, honors thesis on assessing reproductive care among women with intellectual disabilities. And then when I got here and saw the Nysonga Center, I was like, went straight to the director, Dr. Mark Tasse, and was like, I want to be involved with um, the Nysonga Center. And then he got me in contact with um, a woman by the name of Dr. Susan Haverkamp, Susan Haverkamp, who is my mentor. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely love her and told her, I want to um, start an organization that focuses on teaching wellness to children with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, um, oftentimes, they're just left out of health promotion, and they face a lot of comorbidities. Mm -hmm. And so um, there should be something that focuses on teaching them about the appropriate way to eat and also to allow them an opportunity to have autonomy in their own health. Um, typically, what I, from experience, what I see is like a lot of times with, um, I'll call them the IDD community because intellectual and developmental disabilities yeah, okay, is a yeah. long term. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So typically within the IDD community, um, a lot of times the caretakers decide what they eat, what they wear, 
so on and so forth, because you'll have some that are nonverbal, you have a diff different spectrum of just um, social cues and, and responses and just activities of daily living. Um, and so a lot of times they're, everything's decided for them. And so I was like, well, let's, let's get them involved in their health. And so let's make something that focuses on and is tailored to them. And so Rising Up Strong basically like has this universal teaching model that uses like music, hands-on, small groups, magnets, all these different stuff to teach nutrition, physical activity, oral hygiene, and personal hygiene. Um, and we partnered with the Columbus City School District. So like all during first year, I was going back and forth <laughs> to their uh, headquarters, I guess. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, and having meetings with the executive director wow. of special education and their lawyer and all these oh, other Oh, yeah. we got legal. Oh, wow. I will never forget. I came into this meeting room. All of them are sitting there. And I just come in with like my laptop. <laughs> and they're like, is it just you? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so told them my vision and had a whole PowerPoint and they were like, yes, but you got to find the money. Wow. And okay. so I, um, was writing grants, did the IPC funding. Mm -hmm. I also did a research component to it and looked at if the implementation of a special education um, health promotion program would increase health and wellness knowledge for mm -hmm. the IDD youth. And so I had to write a, um, IRB during cardiopulmonary, which was oh not goodness. fun at all. Cardiopulmonary block here at Ohio State is definitely it's your first very difficult <laughs> systemic block. It's it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, so I was so during that block, I was writing grants and and getting through my IRB, and I also was like, well, what makes sure that that this this isn't a one time thing? And so I turned it into an organization on campus. Mm -hmm. I had to submit paperwork to make it an official uh, OSU yeah, organization. Yeah. And then recruited an e-board. So I have a vice president and treasurer. And we're trying to like get more people on the e-board. And then I recruited a research team. My goodness. So I have some doctorate oh, students. You are CEO at this point. <laughs> you are CEO of Rising Up Strong. I need a, we need to change your back. <laughs> yeah, so, wow. you know. Wow, that is that is incredible. So you came into medical school here at Ohio State knowing that you had a passion for working with the IDD community, right? Yes. And then just saw the opportunity, saw a person you could do it with, and then just went for it. And now it's grown to be this large organization, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's incredible. That is incredible. Like, I feel like at least it's, I think it's rare to find people who, not that they, people don't have that kind of foresight, but to stick with that yeah. and then be able to build it from the ground up, I, I am truly in awe. I yeah. think that's wonderful. You know, what I tend to do is I will do things that to a point where there's no going back. And so <laughs> it was like, it was having those meetings with the mm -hmm. executive board at Columbus City School District and showing them a PowerPoint. I was like, can't quit now. <laughs> so that's how I make sure I hold myself accountable is I do something drastic okay. and tell yeah. enough people that now wow. if I don't do it, right. they're like, what? Wow. So the stakes high. I, I yeah. got you, I got you. Well, I mean, I, like, I, I'm impressed. Like, I, I want to do the same thing, honestly. So, um, that's wonderful. So I guess what what's kept the program going? Um, I mean, for one, my passion. 
and just continuing to have people that are also passionate about it. Like when we finished, we had our first summer program just this past June and the staff at Columbus City School District and the volunteers, they loved it. And so they were like, we want you back next year. Can you keep coming back? We want you back during the school year. So getting that feedback from them, like, hey, this is working. Please come back. That's what keeps it going, where it's like, that was my vision. And to see that it's, you know, fulfilling that, it's right. like, wow, I got to keep going because mm-hmm. it's, it's effective. And seeing the students, like, you know, we had um, our nutrition day. Uh, we were making salads, and I gave them different options of dressings and and gave them gloves, chef hats. They oh, had wow. chef aprons, yeah, so they were all excited. And um, just seeing seeing them react to all of it was just amazing. And even just something as simple as having two dressings, they were like, I was like, you know, if you want the ranch or if you want the Italian, put, put whichever one you want. And someone's like, can I put both? And I was like, yeah. They're like, yeah, this is so good. <laughs> and so just kind of seeing them so excited to mm-hmm. learn and to be part of the, the food making process, the decision process of their own health, just mm. being a part of it. They were so excited. Wow. So that's what keeps it going is seeing mm. their faces and knowing that they love it, knowing that staff and, and faculty love it. So they're, you know, I'm not a burden to um, staff at Columbus. They're mm. like, we love that you're here um, and thank you. So wow. you just got to keep doing it. Yeah. It's fulfilling its purpose. I mean, it sounds like it's more than an organization. It's a whole passion project. Oh, you know, 100%. You're like pouring 100%. everything you have into it. Yeah. Wow, it's phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I know you mentioned funds <laughs> a little earlier. And I know <laughs> you guys have a uh, campaign coming up called Eat for Change. Correct? That's Could right. you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, so there is a Chipotle that's down on High Street across from the OSU Union Center. And... Um, Nationally, uh, Chipotle does this thing where they partner with different organizations and give a certain percentage of their funds uh, to that organization. And so on, um, on September 7th from 4 to 8 p.m. over at the Chipotle on High Street. Um, so we're this getting, Saturday? Yeah, this, uh, this Saturday. We're getting uh, 33% of their funds that they get from 4 to 8 p.m., so um, just come out and support. You know, buy a salad, buy a burrito, <laughs> uh, just anything. Um, you know, like I said, we're starting from the bottom. So like, we really have to build our funds if we want to do more things. And we're just getting them from where we can. And so we're very grateful that Chipotle um, decided to partner with us for this time and um, are able to get us going financially. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So if you guys are listening to this before September 7th, definitely go out to the Eat for Change campaign at the Chipotle on High Street. Yes. Right? And I mean, if, if you hear this later and you're <laughs> like, you know what, I still want to give, um, you can always reach out to us. Um, our email is risingupstrong at gmail.com. Um, you can Venmo me, which is uh, Christine Dash Chalaka at Venmo. Oh, you're just giving your uh, Venmo to everybody. Well, I'm just saying because you know, <laughs> like, uh, I'll make sure the funds go there. I'll take it, you know. <laughs> but uh, you know, money makes the world go round, yeah, yeah. guys. You're not lying. You're not lying. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Now this is a second opinion, and knowing, learning more about you and your passion uh, is one aspect of it. But I think. The listeners and I myself uh, really want to kind of poke your mind and get your thoughts about issues um, that do affect the IDD community. Okay. Um, and I guess the role that, I mean, you as a medical, aspiring medical professional, um, 
what you think about it and how you want to move forward with it. So I think a good question uh, to start off with is, you know, what are the most misunderstood things about specifically children with disabilities? Because I'm guessing that's the main population that you work mm-hmm. with, with Rising Up Strong. Yeah. So. Um, I, I think, like, I feel like it's that they don't have opinions mm. and they don't have mm. personalities. Like, mm. you know, people are always talking for them and saying, oh, this is what you want, this is what you're going to do, wear this. I'm like, and then, you know, get mad if there's, like, a tantrum thrown or they're acting out. I was like, no, because imagine if you, right, right. you know, someone said you wanted to have something in the morning and they were like, no. <laughs> you wanted to yeah. wear something and they were like, no. And it's kind of like you know, allow them to be involved in the process of growing and having this individual nature. Like, one thing that I saw that was so amazing with the summer camp that we did was that the children all had so many different personalities. You know, you had someone, even like people who are nonverbal, you know, a lot of times I even heard from some of the faculty members or the volunteers was like, oh, this person never talks, so they might not, and you're like, okay. And then you work with them, and they're excited to, you know, we had this uh, session where we were doing personal hygiene, and um, we did some puzzles, but then we also did something fun where we used tissue paper to kind of have a tissue paper, like, fashion show, and related that to, like, wearing clean clothes and using tissue appropriately, using while using it inappropriately. (laughs) Um, And uh, just, you know, some people that were nonverbal were so excited, were ready to kind of allow somebody to make a t-shirt for them out of tissue paper and it's just like seeing their personalities and allowing them an opportunity to say like do you want to be a model do you want to be a designer and even people nonverbal I want to be a designer and this they say it by like just grabbing onto something they'll poke and you're just like this is amazing and so I think um understanding that like they're individuals they have their own personalities so give them an opportunity to express it sometimes it might take longer than you or I, but like, that's not a problem. Like, just be a little bit more patient. Where do you? Th- that's I mean, that's a wonderful point. Where do you think that perspective, um, in terms of people who tend to misunderstand and think that it's a lack of expression that exists, where do you think that perspective comes from? I think it. I think it comes from like a history of mental illness being a taboo. Hmm. You know, mm. like um, when you think about like historically what has happened with the community community of individuals that have disabilities, not even just developmental disabilities, but disabilities, it was seen as taboo. They were seen as outcast in society. Um, I mean, up until I don't even know, maybe the like, when did they start stop using mental retardation? Like it wasn't oh, that far, you know, it wasn't that far ago, you know, and so like just kind of the language, a lot of times um, when people talk about individuals with disabilities, they put their disability before them. Mm. And so, as you notice, I say individuals with disabilities. It's like so-and-so with autism. You don't say autistic, da-da-da, as if that's who they are. So you have to see, like, there's this language that's been ingrained in us as a society for centuries um, that says that, you know, they are the other. They're not integrated part of society. When you see people with disabilities, they're others. They're outcasts. They're different. And you have to make it known that they're different. So um, when, you, when you think about the history, I'm not surprised that there is a misunderstanding. And that's where Rising Up Strong comes in. Like It gives a lot of people an opportunity to have more interaction, if you have it, with you know, individuals with disabilities. Gotcha. 
And it's funny that you mentioned mental retardation because I feel like I've seen that term still used in medical textbooks. In fact, yeah. I think I saw it in first aid while I was studying for step one. So I, I think that's a... Yeah. Also touching upon the point you had earlier about uh, the, you know, the medical environments as a medical professional being kind of hard to navigate um, those was in respect to uh, gender and women's studies. But I think it sounds like still um, for people in the IDD community, it sounds like a similar obstacle, similar culture that is not as accommodating still exists. Oh, 100%. Like it's still, I mean, they're still othered, you know, Mm -hmm. like I think it's been normalized. Like if you're non-disabled, then it's going to be easier to quote unquote deal with you. And so, um, you know, when you come from a community that's not part of that normal, putting up quotation marks, (laughs) um, normal community, um, people don't know don't know what to do with you. And so that's what's so good about the Nysonger Center. They just started um, an initiative with the LSI curriculum a couple years ago um, that focuses on bringing more awareness and more education about um, disability to medical students because they saw that their people, uh, medical students who are graduating from the LSI curriculum aren't getting that much exposure to patients with disabilities. But when they go out into the real world, they're going to have patients with disabilities. And so when are they going to have the opportunity to learn um, the proper way to kind of interact with individuals with disabilities? And so um, Nysonga Center saw that gap and was like, well, let's let's give it to them, you know? Yeah, no, that, that's great. <laughs> that is great. You know, since we're talking about, you know, the last question touched upon children with disabilities, I think another space that I think is interesting to investigate for children with disabilities mm-hmm. in schools, yeah. both in terms of education and the education system. Um, so I'm curious, what role do you think education, especially as someone who is going on an endeavor that is a health education project, what role do you think education in general has on their physical, the physical and emotional well-being of children with disabilities? Um, it has a very big role, and especially when you, especially when you start to like break down into what families these students may came, come from, um, there might be some families that have a lot more understanding of what it means to have a disability, specifically an intellectual and developmental disability, and might have access to more resources, um, respite care, um, applied behavioral therapy. Like they might have more access to these type of uh, facilities and resources outside of school. And then there's some situations where um, you have families that aren't that familiar with intellectual and developmental disabilities, and it's really the school that gives them different resources on kind of how um, to teach these students how to um, not only like the educational stuff, like reading and writing and right. all that good stuff, but also like proper hygiene and you know just some of the stuff that we do for Rising Up Strong. Yeah, like yeah. Um, they learn that a lot in school. If if a lot of if you have a, a family that doesn't have access to like I mentioned respite care and, and behavioral therapy or don't know that they do have access to it, but aren't aware that they can apply for it, okay. you know. And so um, specifically with the um, IDD community, it plays a school plays a big role because in some situations it goes so much beyond um, 
that's reading and writing and some of the basic learning skills, educational skills um, that individuals would learn in school, but maybe learning how to manage tantrums, maybe learning how to um, understand different emotions that students might feel. Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of children with IDD, that's where they get it from. So it sounds like you know school as a space in general is such a vital location in order in, in terms of bringing resources and opportunities and just like making sure that that education that they're getting in school is almost like holistic yeah. in terms of being able to address so many of the things that will eventually affect how they're able to learn or not. Because mm -hmm. so. I mean, for kids with um, IDD and just in general, individuals with IDD, like routine is essential mm -hmm. and habits are essential. And so, um, you know, in school, they might learn, okay, when you're frustrated and you want to throw a tantrum, let's go to the quiet area. So now they, they've realized at school, like, okay, when I feel frustrated, I need to go off in a mm. moment and take a breather. So they learn that at school. And so then when they get home and they get frustrated, they might say, oh, want to go to my quiet area, want to go to a private room. So they're able to kind of make that connection that they learned in school. When I'm frustrated, I need to take a moment to, to sit by myself. And so while that's not something that you typically would learn in school, right? That's right. not reading, that's not writing, yeah, that's yeah. not history. It's a, it's a life skill. Right. Um, and so with, with IDD community, they learn a lot of their life skills in the classroom. Yeah, that's, that's phenomenal. I think, um, I think it's rare to have, I'm not, I don't want to say an industry, but a, I think a sector is the appropriate word that does significantly take that a holistic approach and realize that, you know, in order to address one particular thing that we're quote unquote supposed to do that you really do have to assess all of the things that influence it as well and mm -hmm. realize that you know their ed the education of children um, involves more than just math and science it involves building life skills yeah. and developing them so that they when they leave school they'll be actually able to function um, in society mm -hmm. i think that's I, man, I'm a fan. I, no, I, I honestly think that's wonderful. Yeah. I do. I do wonder, though. You know, I'm again. I'm from a rural area. Mm -hmm. How prevalent are those resources in terms of them being provided by education systems? Yeah, I mean, it varies because it really is dependent on how much funding that you know the education system gets, mm -hmm. and we already know, like, no matter where you are you're already getting piss poor funding. And then when we start to bring in like rural areas, you're getting mm -hmm. even further yeah. piss poor funding. <laughs> right. And so you do see like uh, disproportionate learning um, among like, if you were to look at like IDD communities and then try to put it where they are, um, you're definitely gonna see that there's different access to resources. Um, I think that is a situation where it mirrors um, even individuals who don't have developmental disabilities, depending on what school district you're in, mm -hmm. you have a lack of resources. Um, it's just, it's unfortunate because it's kind of like, this is a community that needs even a little bit more care, a little bit more patience, a little bit more resources, um, but they're not given it because um, the school doesn't have funding. Right. Well, I know, I think, yeah. <laughs> You're completely right, yeah. like, especially about it being broader than just... Yeah, I mean, know. because it's kind of like, 
within within you know it's kind yeah, of like an yeah. intersectionality yeah it's a where it's double like, disparity yeah it's think, a double disparity sure, sure. so yeah no, that's fair that's fair um a few more questions uh, i'm curious to know um you know we as general people in society you know people who might not have the most access on a regular basis to um people from the individuals from the idd community um what would you say to a layperson who wants to learn more, you know, wants to become more aware of issues um, pertaining to people with disabilities? Yeah. Um, so there are a couple of like online resources. There's something called the ARC. Um, that's just basically like a national database that focuses on um, providing education for uh, disability care. Um, there's maybe at your respective schools, there might be something called LEND, which I'm a part of. Um, I'm a LEND fellow, and that stands for Leadership in Neurodevelopmental Education. Right, right. Um, and so our neuro Educational Disability, so Leadership in Neurodevelopmental Educational Disability. Um, and so with that, they basically teach you how to... Um, just, you have conversations about disability care, you learn about disability policy, you learn about infant mortality, you learn about um, secondary causes, you just learn about basically the broad aspect of disability issues. So it could be medical, it could be social, it could be you have a historical context. So um, there's that, if uh, encourage your schools to um, kind of provide more um, exposure to disability care like we're doing at OSU within our LSI curriculum. Um, I mean, the, your biggest advocate is going to be your internet, Google. Um, there's so many resources out there that are devoted to teaching, um, you know, non-disabled people about disability care. Okay. Yeah. And in, I'm, I'm guessing the internet is almost a, a good place to start. Mm -hmm. but also to seek resources. Yeah. And join Rising Up Strong. Right. I haven't right. said that. Um, sometimes I get so wrapped up. <laughs> <laughs> so Rising Up Strong, I mean, we give you an opportunity to have exposure uh, to the IDD community. So if you are listening and you go to OSU, consider joining Rising Up Strong. It's not just an organization for the medical college, but we are an interprofessional organization. So we have dental students, occupational students, physical therapy students, um, IDD doctorate students. So, um, you know, join. We have undergrads. We're looking for an undergraduate <laughs> liaison. So uh, we're taking everybody. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's going around the whole wild world. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, and let's, you know, let's fast forward 10 years. Okay. In the year 2029, you'll be Dr. Christine Chalaka. Where can we find you? What can we expect for you to be up to, in your opinion, right now? Um, and you know, what kind of impact do you see yourself making in 10 years? 10 years, um, I hope that um, there are more Rising Up Strongs in other places. Um, one of my goals is I do want to create like wellness centers that are for um, the disabled community. Um, and make it national, like a Kaiser a little bit. Ooh! <laughs> so like Kaiser. Really but, Kaiser uh, Medical uh, Systems out here. I am, I am a fan. Let's go, let's disabled go, Disabled community. Yeah. So that's the plan, you know, because, I mean, just, just to be frank, like 
care for um, disabled community, specifically the IDD community, takes a lot more time. And, um, you know, a lot of medical um, organizations don't have the funding for the time. Um, but if I were to create these centers that focus solely on providing that time for this community, um, I just see it being beneficial. It gives them an opportunity to um, just learn about the different procedures they're going to have if they're going in to see the dentist, coming in a day before, and showing them all the tools. And, you know, all of that, that's that's my vision in 10 years. I'm hoping that I can have at least two. Like, uh, yes, yes, <laughs> someplace, yes. You know, speaking into sure. existence. Exactly, um, exactly. I mean, that's uh, career-wise, it's what I want. I want to advocate for disability policy. Um, I want to have a family, you know, all that, all that good personal stuff I still want. I'm not a full workaholic. <laughs> but yeah, that's where I see myself in 10 okay, years. Wow. Podcast listeners, you heard it here first. When Rising Up spreads across the coast, just remember you heard, you heard her announce it here first. You heard it here first. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> Christine. Thank you so much for bringing your ray of sunshine into this studio. No, I'm serious. My pleasure. It has been a pleasure and an absolute honor, honestly, getting to talk to you um, and hear your passion. And just to just to learn more about Rising Up Strong, I've heard about it for for a while, like since since your first year. Yeah. And so to hear the progress that you and your organization has made um, and the impact that you're having on these young children. I'm, I'm in awe, like I said. So thank you again for what you do and for coming into the studio. And please tell the people again where they can find you, where they can follow you and follow Rising Up Strong. Yes. And so, um, like I said, we have a Google account. Um, so Rising Up Strong at Gmail. So if you have any questions, you can email us there. Uh, we just got our logo today. Y'all got a logo. And so we Let's will be go. making an Instagram account. Nice, nice. And so you can find us at Rising Up Strong OSU, um, maybe in like two days or so. And um, so hopefully when this is posted, right. <laughs> the Instagram account will be up and running. So it's going to be at Rising Up Strong OSU. And so we'll be able to kind of post about different events and different volunteer opportunities there. Um, you can always follow me because I always post about Rising Up Strong on my Instagram. That's Chillaxin, C-H-I-L-L. He's laughing at me, it's but Chillaxin is on my smile. Because it's great. That's why. <laughs> That's um, Chillaxin at uh, C-H-I-L-L-X-I-N, Chillaxin. <laughs> oh, Christine Chilaka. Um, so We'll put it in the description for sure. We'll put it in the description. It might be a little confusing. I probably spelled it wrong. I'm going to be honest with y'all. Um, but yeah, so just, you know, join Rising Up Strong. If you look out for our emails, we send emails if, you know, college, OSU College of Medicine students and OSU students are hearing this. Um, we send out emails all the time. So just, you know, when you see Rising Up Strong, don't put it in the spam. Don't delete us. But open it up. There's always some interesting information on there. So, yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of a second opinion and we'll be back to you soon. Peace. <laughs>